Good morning. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, have mercy on us sinners. Amen. So I have two announcements. The first one is that Bible study offering is for the Lutheran Bible translators today. Okay. And the second announcement is um, about the letter that uh, St. John received concerning the work that the Lord team has been doing. Um, uh, this happened in Panama City during uh, Hurricane Florence. Uh, so uh, they do great work and want to commend them before the congregation. Now, I, I'm going to read uh, the letter to you. This was sent by a family in October 28. They say, Dear friends, thank you so much for your help following Hurricane Florence. What a great ministry. We wish you all the best always, and we keep you in our prayers. So very nice of them. Now the... the the Lord team is off to do some work uh, again. Uh, where are they? Panama, <coughs> Panama back to Panama City. Oh, back to Panama City. Okay. North Carolina. Oh, North Carolina. Okay, okay, I got it messed up. Um, okay, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll continue our journey through the Lord's Prayer. And last, night, last time I started by reading for you what I think it's a beautiful, beautiful meditation by John Donne, uh, an English poet from the 1600s. He was uh, about to die, and, uh, well, he didn't know. He was a young man, uh, so he was always in this uh, eminence of, of death. And he, he was meditating about the church, about what the church does. And he says that the church is Catholic, right? He's universal. And everything that the church does... Uh, belongs to all. So when a church baptizes a child, that action concerns me. When a church, um, when a church buries a man, that action concerns me because we are all part of one body whose head is Christ. No man is an island, he says, right? So um, the point with prayer was that when we pray... Um, that action concerns me, right? Um, like baptism, like burial, when we say the Lord's Prayer, we never say the Lord's Prayer just for ourselves, our family. Whenever we pray the Lord's Prayer, we, we pray for the whole family of God uh, because we all are God's children, right? Um, and that then brought me to, to mind another uh, quote I want to read for you. And now, uh, uh, John Donne is a very pious man, and I'm, now I'm going to read to you an impious man, right? So uh, this is not, um, and I, I do it with a little bit of fear and trembling, um, because uh, he has nothing good to say about the church or Christianity or even Christians, and uh, this man is Ambrose Bierce. He was an American writer in the 19th century, and he has a book that compiles uh, definitions of words that he wrote over the years and published in periodicals. And it was gathered after his death as, as a book called The Devil's Dictionary. Um, 
and he has an entry in this in this in this book which is uh, pray, the verb pray. And it, he defines the verb pray in this manner. He says, to ask that the laws of the universe be annulled in behalf of a single petitioner, confessedly unworthy. Laws of nature be annulled in behalf of a single petitioner, confessedly unworthy. Now, um, this is his opinion, and perhaps is the opinion of many people when they see Christians pray. Uh, like prayer was a self-centered activity that concerns only the person who is praying, is like, I pray to God for my sake as opposed to for the sake of other people. Right, like like I am the only person that matters, um, but that's not Christian prayer at all, as we have been seeing. That's not the Lord's prayer, you know, because as I said last time, the Lord's prayer. When when we pray the Lord's prayer, we cannot even exclude our enemies, right? We inevitably pray for them because we say, "Our Father who art in heaven." So. Um, so this is a misguided um, interpretation of what prayer is, but it kind of sheds some, some light on how the world sees prayer. And later today, I went also to read for you a piece that was written um, years ago about, about um, some um, terrorist attacks that happened in Paris and all the phenomena that surrounded that in the media was quite astounding. But let's get to that later, uh, later in the study. Now, uh, we are really getting to, to the text of the prayer. And as we look to the text of the prayer, that's Matthew 6, um, verses 9 through 13, we see that the Lord's Prayer is a very, very short prayer, right? Um, and that's why Jesus... Uh, prefaces the prayer with a teaching which says that when you pray, you should not be like the Gentiles who heap up words, thinking that by, by, by their worthiness, they'll be heard, right? It's like you have to buy God's attention, gain a hearing, and so you keep praying in babbling. And, and Jesus says, that's no prayer at all because prayer stems from faith, Right? When you pray, you believe that God is hearing, so you don't have to buy his attention. You don't have to gain a hearing. You already have because you are God's children, right? You are part of the family, and God does nothing else in heaven besides listening to you and answering your prayers. So uh, there's no need for a worthiness in our prayer, and prayer that is pleasing to God is simple, is short, is to the point. It is rooted in the knowledge that God knows all our needs. And because God knows our, our needs, we don't need to uh, be worthy. We can simply pray and trust. Of course, we can say the, less, the Lord's Prayer three, four, five, eight times a day. But when you pray, trust. You said your prayer, God is listening, He will do. And He will answer yes, because that's the prayer that He always wants to reply. Uh, we don't have to persuade God. We don't have to give him detailed instructions, right? 
because God knows our needs better than ourselves. That's what Luther says. And as to the words of the prayer, Jesus uh, give us, gives us even the very words themselves. He gives us the words that he prays before the Father all the time. Right? And, um, and these, these words themselves, you know, they are the word of God. And I'm not saying, and, I, and I'm not even trying to say, you know, that um, while well, the Lord's Prayer is a model prayer, and we learn to pray from it, but it is Christ's prayer, so it is a prayer that He prays, and that we pray those words themselves. So it's not simply a model for us to mimic, but um, it is the word, the word of God. And Bonhoeffer, I mean. Um, Bonhoeffer says something about, about prayer and the Lord's Prayer in the Psalms. He says that um, we must learn to pray out of the riches of God's Word, you know, the Psalms, the Lord's Prayer, and out of the poverty of our own hearts. So the Lord's Prayer first is God's Word to us, and then it becomes our Word to God. And uh, by the very fact that Jesus gives us the words that we should pray, um, we know how deeply um, God is concerned with our needs. The entirety of the Lord's Prayer is uh, essentially petitions, is requests that we make to God, right? Uh, God wants us to ask things. Uh, God is concerned with the needs that we have, right? Um, request is what God tells us to do, to pray. So we should never doubt that such prayer pleases God immensely and that will be heard and answered. Now, um, all the seven petitions, as you may see, all the seven petitions of the Lord's Prayer, they deal with needs that we have. And these needs are reminders of our situation. These petitions are reminders of our situations. Um, They are reminders of the brokenness of the world, the brokenness of our lives, the brokenness of our churches, the brokenness of our families. they remind us that God is in heaven, right? Our Father who art in heaven, and that we are on earth. And in heaven, everything is perfect. So in the first three petitions, what we end up doing is asking God that he makes our life, our family, our church, our relationships, our, our workplace more like heaven, right? All the petitions in the Lord's Prayer, the first three petitions, they end with, the phrase, on earth as it is in heaven, right? And usually we associate this phrase with the third petition, God's will. But in fact, the phrase on earth as it is in heaven applies grammatically to all the first three petitions. So we pray, hallowed be your name on earth as it is in heaven, Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. 
your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Right? So we are asking God to break through our world, our wretchedness, the brokenness of our lives, and make it better. Right? Um, and these are, these are the, first, um, the first three petitions. And it is important that we know uh, this, uh, this about ourselves, uh, what, what the petitions tells us about ourselves. They tell the truth about our lives. Sometimes we live kind of this, uh, uh, we, we like to see things sometimes better than they are, or in my case, worse than they are. You know, that's kind of my, I always see things very, very dark. And... Um, but 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 also the opposite is true. You know, uh, sometimes we live delusioned, and there's a bad situation, and we cover up it with uh, with a, a good description, right? But and, and knowing knowing ourselves uh, is is kind of um, it was part of even the philosophical endeavor, right? Know thyself is kind of a phrase that Socrates coined um, as, 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 as that which is our search for truth in the world, search for, for the knowledge, for this knowledge of self and everything that surrounds, that su- surrounds our life. Um, but now, the knowledge of self, according to the Lord's Prayer, then, is not this kind of inward uh, search of meaning by itself, but it is for sure the knowledge that God is perfect, the world is broken, we are sinful, therefore we are to ask God that He fixes our lives and brings us to Himself in heaven. Uh, so, uh, then the Lord gives us all these petitions that encompass all our needs, and we can be so sure that these petitions are always answered with a yes, of course. My will be done. My name will be hallowed. Uh, my kingdom will come. Uh, God will give what we desire. Because what we desire now that we are in Christ is that which God wants to give us. Um, Luther says uh, in the Catechism many, many times that the things that we ask uh, in the Lord's Prayer are things that God gives us even without our prayer and before our prayer but he wants us to recognize that he is the source and the giver of all his gifts. And this then for Luther is kind of the reason why God wants us to pray. So in the Lord's Prayer we ask for more, more of that which God has already been giving us all along since the first day. Right? So don't be, don't be shy. Uh, ask. Ask. Ask, because God will give, and will give more, and will give again. 
it belongs to the very nature of God being a giver, right? God gives. Uh, that's part of his character. That's essential to him. So he wants us to seek from him the things that he is willing to give and that he has promised to give. If we don't ask, we deny that he is God. We are denying an essential trait of his character. Uh, so God wants us to give, and he commands that, that, that we do. Uh, so as uh, kind of wrapping up a little bit, all this, this that we have been saying, you know, and perhaps with a little bit of naivete, Luther says that uh, then Christian prayer is very easy, you know. Uh, it's very easy because we have God's command that we pray. It's very easy because we have needs and we know these, those needs, which the Lord prayer tells us that we have. We present these needs to God, and then we get through speaking to God the things that we ask for. I mean, it's kind of easy, isn't it? It seems. You have needs. God promised to hear. You present the needs. God gives. Uh, but yet, prayer, it seems to me, it's quite difficult, right? Um, it's hard for me to pray. And perhaps for, for many of us, it's hard to pray. Uh, because we might know all of those things, God's command, our need, that God answers and yet, the devil throws anything at us to hinder our prayers. When you think about praying, no matter how much you plan that you are praying tonight, sometimes, you know, the phone rings or, um, you know, you think about a task you have to do for tomorrow. And, uh, and everything gets in the way of prayer. So that's my experience. I think that's pretty much the experience uh, of us all. Our Father who art in heaven tells us that um, the Lord's Prayer is both intimate and corporate. Jesus' disciples live in a community with each other, so Christian prayer is personal but never private. Or personal perhaps better said, personal, but never individual. It is always offered in union with Christ and the Spirit who prompts the prayer and joins it to the prayer of the entire body, right? Even when we pray alone in our room, as Jesus says, go to your room, to your closet, and pray when nobody is, is hearing you and seeing you, right? Even if we do that, which is an hyperbole, we don't have to do that. The point is that we don't have to show off our prayer. But even if we do that, um, all the church is praying with us, and the Spirit is joining that prayer to the prayer of everybody else who might be on their, their corner praying at the same time or the, at another time. And besides that, we also have the presence of all heaven with us, all the saints who have departed. All the church is present when we pray, right? Because prayer is what God's saints do.
it's interesting to see that um, the Old Testament tells us um, that God is our Father. But um, I don't know, can you tell or can you think about many occasions where in the Old Testament it is said that God is our Father? Is it common? Is it uncommon? Common in the Old Testament? It's quite uncommon, I would say. You know, it's, it's, kind of a, it's kind of an idea that is absent. It's not totally absent. You can find it somewhere. You can find it in the Psalms. I mean, in Psalm 103, uh, the psalmist describes the, our relationship with God or God's relationship with us as a father who has compassion on the, on the children. And in the psalmist says the same way, God shows compassion on us and forgives our sins, right? So, uh, also, also Isaiah says something very similar, uh, that uh, you have one Father who made us all, right? But this are, there are just three or four occasions in the Old Testament where God is called our Father. And most of the time, God is called our, our Father because... He created us. In the Psalms, it's because He forgives. That's one occasion. The other two or three that exist is because God created us. Right? Now, Jesus gives us an entirely different perspective on God being our Father. Because it, it tells us that God is our Father in the same sense that God is His Father. So this is a familial relationship. It's not simply a relationship to a creator who makes things like an artist can make a painting or a potter can create a clay that you uh, can create a a clay piece and, and you could say oh he's the father of that in the sense that he made it, right? But in the Lord's Prayer, God is our Father in the sense that He is the Father of Jesus. In the sense that we are born of God in our baptism. Right. Um, so Jesus, or starting with Jesus, the New Testament starts telling us about God being our Father with an unusual frequency. Right? And Jesus, more than anyone else, calls God the Father with an unusual frequency. And then he allows us the same address to God that he uses, which is Father, which is Abba, which is the same as to say Papa, Daddy. Right? Luther captures it quite well uh, in his small catechism when he says that with these words, our Father, God wants us to ask Him boldly and with com complete confidence, like dear children ask their dear Father. Um, so dear children and dear Father. See, it's a family relationship, but it is a good family relationship. In another place, Luther says something very, very uh, insightful, and I think very beautiful, you know, in a very beautiful way. Uh, sometimes I get tired of reading Luther because 
he goes on on these rants and goes on and on and on and on. And uh, it's always the same rant using kind of different words. But then he has these formulations which are all over the place and you kind of, okay, I got it, you know, <laughs> move on, you know. And, uh, but sometimes he has a phrase, you know, he has a sentence which is not only beautiful but is brilliant. Um, in such a way that I usually think of him as a, as a theologian of, of sentences. You know, if you could just take some sentences sometimes, and uh, it, would be, it would be much easier. So he says, the term our Father refers to a confidence that we can place solely in God. No other can assist us to get to heaven than this one Father. And now, the scriptures say, no one ascends into heaven, but he who descends from heaven, the Son of Man. And now hear this. In his skin and on his back, we too must ascend. In his skin and on his back, we too must ascend. Right? And, uh, and this phrase kind of shocks my, 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 uh, my thinking because, you know, we can either be in or on. We cannot be in the ground and on the ground at the same time, right? But when Luther says we, that, that in his skin and on his back we must ascend, he is describing the two ways in which Christ brings us to the Father, we come to the Father in the Lord's Prayer in the skin of Jesus, meaning that when we speak the prayer, God listens to Jesus praying, right? That's what baptism does. We are clothed with Christ, in Christ. We pray the Lord's Prayer. God hears the voice of Christ and on his back. So Jesus carries up up to the presence of God. Um, so, the Lord's Prayer brings us to the presence of our Father who is in heaven. And we should make use of this name, you know, this name Father, uh, because this is the name that, you know, moves God uh, more, more strongly. There's no name that moves God as much as calling Him Father. And there's no name probably that we can call God that also moves us so strongly. Uh, we can call God God. We can call God Lord. We can call God Judge. I mean, but how comforting that is. Now, if you call God's Father, doesn't that change your prayer? Doesn't that give you more confidence that God will listen, that God will uh, answer positively and tenderly to you? So we pray the Lord's Prayer, and we say our Father, and by saying so, we appeal to His tender heart, and we instruct ourselves about his tenderness toward us. 
Now, the first three petitions, or let me say this, um, the seven petitions uh, were divided in two groups by the Western Christian tradition, pretty much consistently. You have the first three petitions, which you can call the your petitions, your will, your name, your kingdom. And then you have the our petitions, when, where we ask for the things concerning our life on earth. And these petitions are marked by then the pronouns our, we, us. Right? Um, so, in the first three, we pray for the things that concern God. In the, and in a sense, we pray for God. You know, we pray that His name be hallowed, His kingdom come, His will be done. Um, but also, in a sense, we pray for ourselves, even though the pronouns are not there, because we pray that these things that concern us may be true and may be realized in our lives as well. That His name be hallowed by us, that His kingdom come to us, that His will be done among us. Right? So we recognize that when we pray these petitions, we are asking uh, God for things that are already happening because God's will, God's name, and God's kingdom already are fully happening and perfectly done in heaven. But we are praying that this might be extended to earth, right? In a sense that God brings uh, heaven to earth or binds together heaven and earth in such a way that our existence on earth resembles more what our existence in heaven will look like. Uh, in the future. And, uh, you know, this also tells us that the Lord's Prayer, and particularly this, these three petitions, are actually prayers for, for the last day, you know, because when we do these prayers, we acknowledge that what is done in heaven is not done fully on earth, but we are asking that it be done fully on earth as it is in heaven. And when is that going to happen? It's going to happen on, on the last day. Right? Um, I had somewhere a quote from, um, from Revelation, and I don't know where the quote is. So, oh, okay. Uh, so in Revelation we read, I mean, for you to, 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 to see that really these this prayers are about, are about God bringing things to a closure on earth also, right? Revelation 22, the Spirit and the Bride say, the church, say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who thirsts, come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. He who testifies to these things, Christ, says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Right? This is 
in one verse the prayer that we make in the three petitions of the Lord's Prayer. <laughs> like I said last time, you know, uh, last time we did pretty well uh, concerning concerning uh, the the way that uh, I could I could do whatever I had planned. Uh, but uh, this time uh, we'll have to leave something behind. But anyways, uh, because just now we are getting to the first petition, and we have ten minutes. <laughs> have ten minutes to go. Yeah. Uh, so. The first petition says, um, hallowed be your name. And uh, I want us to dwell a little bit on that because God's name is inseparable of his nature. Therefore, God's name is holy as God is holy. But we pray that he may be holy, right? Um, which is kind of weird, right? Because it is holy in itself. Um, and in the, in the Old Testament, you have also this sense in which uh, God's name is God's presence. Like, um, what is in the Old Testament that which fills the temple? It is God's presence. But there's also some passages in the Old Testament in the Old Testament, which say that what, sh- what fills the temple is God's name. For instance, 1 Kings, Kings 9, I have consecrated this house that you have built by putting my name there forever. Um, so God's name fills the temple. God's name and God's presence are the same thing. They are coextensive. And God's name, as God's presence is, is always holy by itself, and it's holy forever, right? Now, we receive God's name in our baptism, and when we were baptized, God lives in us in such a way that Paul says uh, that now we are temples of the Holy Spirit, right? So, as God's name was in the temple... God's name is in us through baptism. We are temples of the Holy Spirit, right? But we fail to keep God's name holy. The name that is holy in itself, when it is in us, we fail to keep it holy, right? So that's, that's what Luther says in a large catechism, we pray that his name, which is in any case holy in heaven, may also be holy and kept holy on earth, in our midst, and and in all the world. So, um, in the Old Testament, you know, uh, there was an occasion in which God's presence left the temple. God's name leaves the temple because of the people's sinfulness. So when we pray the Lord's Prayer and we say, hallowed be your name, we are praying that God's name may be holy in us, in our use. And this is a prayer that God's name, which was given us in baptism, doesn't leave us, right? It's a prayer that um, we be always God's children, 
uh, despite our sinfulness, that His name stick with us and that God then brings us home when time comes. Um, and uh, then how is God's name then kept holy, right? And Luther says that God's name then is kept holy in two ways. God's name is kept holy um, by us using it in a good way, that is, speaking truthfully about God, um, teaching rightly the, the Word of God. And the second way would be living a holy life according to the Word of God. So you have words about God and you have deeds, right? Uh, and that, that's the way that God's name is kept, is kept holy. Now, when, God's, when we as Christians or the church uh, teach us contrary to the word of God, then what happens is that God's name, instead of being made holy among, uh, among us, this name is shamed, right? And even more so when we live ungodly lives. You know, you think even about uh, scandals in the church, and uh, that's, that's a big thing today, um, particularly in the Catholic Church. Uh, the scandals um, are much more destructive of the church and the church's mission than anything else in the world. Right, uh, people run away from the church because of these things, because of ungodly, ungodly living, and you know, false teaching, ungodly life. Instead, then of honoring God's name, it brings shame, and it makes people blaspheme the the name of God. Right, run away from it, curse the name of God. Uh, when you have someone say something like don't be a Christian, or um, the church is a terrible thing, you know, uh, don't listen to God's word, you are, this, this is blaspheming God's word, he's saying that God is not holy, there's something else that is better than what God has to say and to offer. So, uh, what we do and what we say may cause God's name to suffer dishonor, scorn, reproach. reproach. And, uh, and we pray that it not be so, right? That God helps us to live and to speak truthfully about Him. Your kingdom come, then, is a second petition. And uh, God's reign, you know, as God's name, is holy in itself. God reigns uh, without our prayer and before our prayer. reigns now and always. As the psalm says, the Lord is king forever and ever. The Lord sits enthroned forever. The, God, the Lord will reign forever. All these phrases are on the, in the psalms. So, um, like the preceding petition in this one too, we pray that the kingdom of God and God's rule, God's lordship, may also prevail among us, right? Um, may come to us. And this happens, you know, it happens in church. 
It happens in the ministry of the church. It happens in the preaching of the word. It happens in the sacraments. And, uh, and that's, you know, St. John is so blessed because uh, here you have something that is so unusual and perhaps there's no Lutheran church in the whole country that does this, which is to have daily Eucharist, which is nothing other than bringing God's kingdom down to earth every single day. No. We have the body of Christ, the blood of Christ. Before we have reading of scripture, we have before and after saying of prayers, right? We have preaching. We have God's kingdom in our midst every single day in this church, right? And this certainly is an answer to prayer, you know. You have been praying all, all, our, all your lives the Lord's Prayer and God answered very positively in such a way that you have a church where it is offered to you every day. Um, so, yeah, daily Eucharist is such a great idea. So, are we asking this prayer, in this prayer that God's kingdom may be realized in us and also that his kingdom may come to those who are not yet in the church. So it's a prayer for ourselves, but also a prayer for everyone. You know, Beers is wrong. God's uh, Christian prayer is always, but always uh, communal. It's always about us and other people. And again, this is also a prayer a prayer for the last day because it is only in the last day that God's kingdom will be fully realized on earth as it is in heaven, right? Until then, um, Satan still has a grip on the world, right? He still has power. And this power um, tries to hinder God's uh, attempts to hinder God's reign among us in such a way that he throws everything at us. He throws, uh, it hinders our prayers. He makes us kind of, he hinders our, our, our coming to church. He hinders the practice of the Eucharist. He hinders every single thing so that uh, he can have a grip still in the world and God's kingdom may not be fully realized among us, but God will bring that to completion then on the last day. And now we would have a third petition, but uh, we are out of time, so we might just uh, continue next, next uh, Sunday. Thank you.